this time. <laughs> Another failed intro, probably. Oh, are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, this is the start of the podcast. Yay. <laughs> Welcome to Basic Snitches. The Harry Potter reread podcast you didn't know you needed. That's right. Um, I'm Tara. I'm Adam. Today we're going to do chapter... Nine, the Midnight Duel. A couple uh, little bits of housekeeping before we launch. We are finally live in the way that time works, at least. <laughs> We're live to you. You're like, no shit, you've been live for now nine episodes. But we are finally um, publishing our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify and what's the site's name that you use? Oh, Podbean. Podbean. We're working on Apple, I think, still. And Google... We might be on Google Podcasts. Cool. I'm not sure. So be patient with us if, I mean, who knows, by the time you are listening to this, you might be listening to it on on Apple Podcasts. So far, we've gotten some really great feedback, a lot of it positive, some things we are already going to start doing, and I've also decided that the music of our podcast is already getting a little bit stale. Not the intro and outro music. I actually love it, and a lot of people have said that they really like that music. But, like, Night on Bald Mountain, okay, enough <laughs> during our little oh, recap so thing. Yeah. So I'm going to try to also um, find some new music to put before we get into the movie or when we assign winner loser slash house points, all of that good stuff. So to kind of, I don't know, make it more of a dynamic experience. <laughs> so. We're already a dynamic experience. That's right. That's our other tagline. We have like a huge list of taglines now. We'll pick one. Yeah. Maybe one day. At least, if, what was the one new one? If, it, if we're one thing, it's consistent. Which is really untrue. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the recaps... Tara has written me a lovely summary. Actually, before I jump into this, one of the pieces of feedback we got was to be a little bit more prepared with these so that we aren't kind of stumbling over what the other person wrote. We still want them to be surprises to each other, but um, so that we're not like, what the fuck does this say? Because I have my like hastily written handwriting or whatever. We type them out. So hopefully this will give us a little bit more of an idea of what we're reading, especially for Tara, because my I admit my handwriting, my cursive is a little bit fucked up. All right. Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Harry is relieved that they only have one class with Slytherin, but guess what? Now they're going to have to learn to fly, and he's nervous to fly in front of Draco Malfoy, who is a self-proclaimed flying expert, in air quotes. Ron makes fun of soccer because he doesn't know what it is, which is really mean. Neville is afraid of flying because, well, he's Neville. And Hermione is trying to learn how to fly by reading books because Hermione. When they go to flying lessons, they meet Madame Hooch, who legit has the coolest job ever. Also, does she teach anything else? Or does she just teach first-year flying lessons a couple weeks every year? Referee Quidditch matches and what? Just chill out in the grounds? Sounds like a pretty cushy job. The class gets ready to fly when Neville kicks off too early and ends up falling over 20 feet and breaking his wrists. For whatever reason, Madame Hooch does not do any kind of magic to prevent him from getting hurt, like maybe slowing down his fall or conjuring his mattress or something, but what do I know? Great point. 
she takes him to the hospital wing, leaving 19 other 11-year-olds out on the grounds with no chance whatsoever of any more of them getting injured. While she's gone, there is room for the plot of Harry and Draco hating each other to unfold. Draco takes Neville's Rembrandt, which he had forgotten earlier that day, from his granite owl post and calls Neville a lump, which is rude. I put that in my notes as well. And takes off flying with it. He tells everyone he's going to throw it up the tree for Neville to find, and Harry goes after him, even though he has never flown before. To no one's surprise, Harry is very good at flying. After doing a crazy dive that probably would have gotten anyone else killed in order to get the Rememberall back from Malfoy, Harry's caught by McGuh and now thinks he's going to be expelled. But don't worry, because, well, Harry might not know this, but this book series is about him learning magic Hogwarts, so the chances of him being expelled are negative. <laughs> Instead, we find out that McGuh really loves Quidditch, and instead of expelling him, she puts him on the house team. When Harry isn't expelled, Malfoy challenges him to a wizard duel and completely solidifies their rivalry. Ron tells him what it's about, and Hermione overhears and tells him not to go. Of course, he does not listen to her. When Harry and Ron go to meet Malfoy for the wizard's duel, Hermione tags along and so does Neville, and of course everything goes as planned. Just kidding, it was to trap, and the four of them find themselves hiding from Filch and his bitch cat and barely getting away from them, only to meet a terrifying giant three-headed dog that absolutely is not dangerous at all. Somehow, they all manage to make it back to the common room, unharmed and without getting caught. Hermione voices her questionable priorities between death and being kicked out of school, and everyone goes to bed, probably to have nightmares. <laughs> also, this chapter literally all happened in one day, which is crazy. Well done. Oh, thank you. There were so many times. Another thing that we talked about not doing was, like, interrupting what they we wrote. And there were so many times when I wanted to do that. It, was, it went really smoothly like that. It, I really liked that. Yes. It was... It, Typing it is a lot easier. Obviously, I tri uh, tripped over myself a couple a couple times, but it was nowhere near as bad as when we handwrite them. There were so many things that I wanted to like call out though in this because I was like, oh my gosh, about that. For well, that's what our conversation is for. And that's a great transition. Oh, I'm so good at transitions. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my so, gosh. We open up the chapter with flying class, and we meet a new character, and of course, that is Madame Hooch. Yay, Madame Hooch. Yes. She has a really cushy job. She she does. I didn't even think about any of this stuff, too. But I suppose she's kind of like the gym teacher. You know, this is right. the gym class. Well, do they have, like, other wizard gym things? Maybe I they mean, do. Perhaps. We just don't talk about it because maybe that's boring. Because well, it probably is boring. Something that I believe are down is, <clears throat> are there other wizard sports? <clears throat> because I do also love how Ron was like, what... What's football or something like that? What's so or, yeah, it was or, what soccer. Is. Yeah, soccer, football, uh, football in British being soccer. Right. But yeah, like the the little thing where he is trying to like poke at the poster, trying to get the players to move and stuff, and kind of shitting on soccer. I don't know. I kind of like that. In the next chapter, we also get something similar to basketball, where they they completely don't understand. Oh sports. yeah, it's funny. Ron just it's typical Ron, I think. To be like, I don't know what this is, so I'm just gonna yeah. like give someone a hard time about it. Um, I believe I wrote down to like 
are there other wizarding sports? Because, of course, we only hear about Quidditch, but think about how many more exciting things they would be able to do. I'm sure there are other wizarding sports, but, like, that's the big one. Or maybe there aren't, and they actually do play, like, cricket or, like, other muggle sports that aren't interesting to talk about. I don't know. Or have some, like, magical twist to them. Maybe they do curling. Maybe there's magical curling. And and instead you fly around on your broom instead of... like doing the the sweepy thing to make the <laughs> the thing stop. My knowledge of this is so so poor. At first, when you said curling, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's the name of the sport." And then as you continued to describe it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what they do." Like because you said curling. I don't actually like, understand what they do. I just know that they're they have like broom things that they make. They I don't know. I don't know. I'm it, not gonna pretend like I know what I'm talking about. They already have a broom sport. What if all of their sports have to do with brooms? I. I believe in it. Ways. I believe in it. I I would love to see more information about wizarding sports. Mm. That's my totally. Take. Well, and something else that this one made me think of in the same um, respect is in gym class, like when oh, I don't have a great example because it's been years since I've had to take a gym class. But like when you all have to have this one like equipment piece. And they all come out, and there's that one shitty one that doesn't really work right, or <laughs> smells, or whatever. Like, and that, I think, that's like all these brooms. Yeah, like I said later, Fred and George were bitching about how they like fly to the left or yeah, something. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> so that's something else that made me think of Muggle life. Muggle <laughs> how, life. How it compares to this Muggle life, the new magazine for basic bitches. <laughs> And then, of course, Madame Hooch herself. So, yeah, I don't know. I like the thought of her having this cushy job because we really don't see her anywhere else other than refereeing the game. At the same time, I'm really glad to see her, mostly because the actress in the movie is Zoe Wanamaker, who plays Ariane Oliver in the Hercule Poirot series on BBC, which I really love. So I just love her. Adam's going to repeat this when we talk about the movie as well. Yes. I'm going to be like, obsessed. go back to whatever timestamp it was before when I said this in the books and just listen to it again. I also think that overall, Madame Hooch is more beloved than I think she really deserves. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to even publish this episode, but when we were driving to New York, we were going to do this episode uh, looking at all of these rankings and lists like on BuzzFeed and other sites. And there's this one, like, the definitive list of ranking all Hogwarts teachers, which didn't cover all Hogwarts teachers, and ranked Madame Hooch incredibly high, <laughs> which I had a big problem with, because the reason why is they said that she teaches the young wizards and witches the most important wizarding skill. Hermione isn't great at it, and Neville isn't great at it, and clearly both of them do great things throughout the series, so clearly not the most important skill. It's gym class. And then I also think that Madame Hooch is a little bit bitchier in the book than she is in the movie as well. Yeah. I mean, that's how she was intended, and, you know, you can only do so much. Her needing to be as rough as she is in the book doesn't need to happen in the yeah. movie. That's my opinion. She's a little bit softer. And I think seeing her with, like, the Hawkeyes, too, is a great effect. So, I was just gonna say, I really love um how we get to experience owl post in this way you know we i think we experienced a little earlier in the book but here you get to see harry like 
basically like you know he hasn't gotten anything other than watching everyone get packages and letters and stuff from home and it talks about how Malfoy gets all kinds of stuff Malfoy's eagle owl was always bringing him packages of sweets from home and it it says that you know he catches on that Harry doesn't get anything which is rude and sad (laughs) um but also you get to see Neville get his remembrance yes which you're like, oh, cool. I love learning like this. There's Here's this new magical thing. And this whole book is about learning new magical things. And I forget about the remember all after because it never yeah. happens again. Um, and the remember all is obviously very important to this chapter. But I really, I really just enjoy the owl post moment. We um, mentioned in the past about um, other magical, just like random objects, muggle objects. Like I mentioned Reader Skeeter's Quill and there was something else. The opportunity to have magical stopwatches maybe it was or something like that but this is like a 100% like magical object I like it it's really interesting if anything it's like a magical notification on your calendar that helps you not forget it doesn't actually tell you what it is but you know (laughs) magic isn't apparently perfect I also like the notion of this being kind of the way that they receive care packages from home Um, something similar to college packages are always so much better than getting anything else in the mail, like a bill or even, you know, <laughs> anything regular. I mean, letters are great, but there's something really excited or exciting about receiving a package. Because of this, it's almost like why I think I'm addicted to subscription boxes. <laughs> My little brother does those too. Yes. I love them. I can just imagine, like, if I had, like, a hatch in my ceiling where an owl would, like, drop off my, whatever, my HelloFresh to every week or anything. That would be fun. Yeah. So I really liked that. And then I also want to point out Draco and his, like, ADHD. He's getting all the these cool packages from home, but all he can do is, like, compare himself to other people and notice how, oh, Harry's not getting anything. Oh, Ron's isn't as good as mine. It's like, oh, my God. I mentioned this with Vernie, Vernon, Vernie. I mentioned this with Vernon too earlier, but like, pay attention to yourself. Who cares if they're not getting packages? Like, it's not your problem. So let's go to flying lessons. Yes. That's like really fun in the chapter. Just right off the bat, I just, this is where I just start being like, really, Madam Hooch? Now, I think that the first time I read this book, I'm sure I didn't go, oh, well, she should have done something magical to save this boy from getting hurt. But then you continue with the series literally like, you know, anywhere from that point on. And you're like, but they're magic. Like, what? but she didn't do anything to prevent this. Obviously, plot. But, um, you know, I just, I I look at this and I'm just like, she just kind of stands there. Also, I was thinking about like, why is there only one teacher to supervise 20 students? on brooms where you know this is dangerous <laughs> like what if they'd all been flying and one of the students started to fall and she went to attend to them and then like she could have prevented another student from falling because if she'd been paying attention but she couldn't because another you know what i'm saying like yeah. this just seems like a terrible idea it would be a great class to have a teacher's aid at <laughs> at the same time like i think of the danger that they um, come across in things like Defense Against Dark Arts or potions and things like that. But I, it's it's like, I love how you put that in your summary. I think of other instances where they do use magic to solve a problem that isn't even that big of a problem. Like, oh, Hermione can make it to all of her classes. So here's a mac- magical mechanism for her to do so. Right. Whereas this, it's like, there's a child, like, falling. And he could very well, like, break his arm or 
Right. What or worse. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I love the thought of her just conjuring a mattress or something like that. I just feel like that would have been the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then later when you say that she leaves all these students behind to just and just trust that they're gonna like why don't you just send them back to their their common room Mm. you know what class is clearly over you You don't want them to and and you know even if class isn't over just feel like you're gonna go into the great hall you're gonna go or you know magic the rooms away or something sure i mean not for anything and it's like what are they gonna do because they can't like do anything physical but utilize the ghosts in a way even like hey I need a ghost over here to, like, watch over these kids yeah. to make sure they don't I mean, get into problems. Also, again, there are clearly not enough adults at Hogwarts. Now, of course, in this scheme of the story, it's the thing that they use then to further... Obviously, you know, like, it's a plot thing, yeah. so I get it, and I appreciate McGonagall it. McGonagall would never come out. And, and actually, like, it really kind of sets her up more about how she's not a great teacher like there's a couple yeah there's like a couple books later where she's supposed to be watching them or paying attention to them during quidditch and she isn't she like falls asleep um she doesn't i forget which book that is we'll get there spoiler alert um (laughs) and like the fifth book we know where like harry and the weasley twins get completely banished from playing quidditch because of what happens with Malfoy. Put up a fucking, like, shield charm. This kid's being an asshole. Like, why are you not there doing your job, referee? Yeah. I'm saying, like, I think that this this is actually, like, while also forwarding the plot, which is very important, it also does kind of set her up to really be a kind of shitty teacher. This is a really great point. Because, like I said, there are a lot of people who I think find Madame Hooch really beloved. I think it's just, oh, she teaches them how to fly. I remember at one point, I was with some friends, and I can't even remember who it was, but we were talking about, like, oh, who are the sexiest people at Hogwarts? And Madame Hooch was, like, in the top five. (laughs) Yeah. And things like that, but when you look at, like, how she actually handles some of these things... I mean, I I don't know. I don't feel like I've ever been uh, really cared much about Madame Hooch, but it's just, you know, obviously looking at it this way has really kind of helped me take some things apart. This is actually, to me, I feel like this is the point in the series where JK is matching Harry and Neville now. The way that Harry jumps to defend Neville in this moment, I just want to like read the passage of what it's like when when like Malfoy takes takes it and Harry goes after him. Malfoy says, come and get it, Potter. Harry grabbed his broom. Hermione yells at him, Madame Hooch told us not to, blah, blah, blah. Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground, and up, up he soared. Air rushed through his hair, and his robes whipped out behind him. In a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. And the reason I love this whole segment is that he is pulled forward by trying to stick up for Neville, and in this moment he discovers this magic of flying in a way that Madame Hooch would never have been able to teach him. It is natural. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And I love it because if Harry had just been like, oh, I want to fly, he would have waited. He wouldn't He wouldn't have jumped on a broom and shown off. Like, this is... Maybe Harry in later books would have, but, like, Harry, who literally just got to Hogwarts and found a place that he isn't being malnourished and all this shit, like, there's no way Harry would have done this if he hadn't been, like... I have to defend Neville. Neville yeah. didn't do anything wrong, and he's he's sticking up for the underdog. And then that's the thing is his connection there, because Harry was the underdog. Harry was bullied by Dudley, and he 
finds this way to, well, in his in the way best way he knows to stick up for someone when there wasn't anyone to do that for him. I don't know. I just I to me I just I just thought this is where this begins. This is where the Harry and Neville connection starts. Not only that, but I wrote some something down for this specific scene too, and it's just Harry's sense of justice and protection. Yes, and we see it again in Before, the next chapter with yeah. Hermione, and we see it countless other times throughout the the, the series. But um, he has this innate thing inside of him that is constantly searching for the way to make something just and fair. But not only that, but he also is finally exploring this new sense of freedom. And like you said, he was the underdog. And I think that's where his yearning for justice comes from. But the freedom thing now, he I, we've mentioned already episode to episode how he grows into his true personality and his true self. And now you're really seeing him start to be more free and open as just a human. It, it's funny because if, for whatever reason, this were to happen at, say, the Diagon Alley level, like, he wouldn't have, I think, been as ballsy to, like, jump on this broom and save him. And this, of course, is why he's a Gryffindor, too. Right. There's always this sense of justice and making things right. It's also, this is like the first place you see Harry just make a rash decision. Hermione is like, don't do this. And he, without thinking, because the first thing on his mind is not, I should, I should think this through. I should make sure that this is, this is going to work in my favor, whatever. He literally just reacts. And this is the first time he has that, yeah. that instinct to just act. And I love that it's for Neville and I never realized it. Mm-hmm. until now like it's for Neville because I think before I always thought it was for Hermione for the troll oh he's I see like, what you mean. oh Hermione doesn't no. know but he also I don't think that's a rash decision like this one it's a that one is purely like we have to go save her right and that was also like kind of saving their own asses but we'll talk about that and this is more rash episode. but this like... is absolutely rash because he literally could have gotten himself killed you know like McGonagall says to him he could have gotten expelled should have gotten expelled he could have gotten all these other people in trouble and he did not think about that the only thing he thought of was like you said justice the and then later in the chapter of course we see him do it again but there isn't as much of a justice payoff to it it's more like a revenge payoff yes and then that's where it's kind of balances the chapter out and, oh yeah absolutely okay, here's where he made a rash decision and it obviously way paid off here's another one where it didn't go terrible but I mean, it could have gone a lot better. Right. And Hermione may have been right in this instance. Of course, that then helps the chapter and the story unfold a little bit more because we're introduced to another character, but we'll get there. The other thing that I want to mention at this point is McGonagall when she comes out. So far, we've seen her kind of be the rule enforcer and a little bit more of a strict adult when you compare it to the likes of Madame Hooch and Dumbledore and some of the rest. But this is where we start to see her, a little bit of her softer side. But first you see her come out and be terrifying as hell. <laughs> uh, we just watched the movie because... But she also, like, literally, not even in the movie, she's terrifying as hell when she comes out. No, that's this is what, I, that's what I'm talking about. Like, when she comes out in the book, she's screaming at him. Yeah. When we watched the movie just now... What I had said was this is like the opposite of that moment in a future book where Dumbledore is like, Harry, don't you put your name in the thing? Uh, 
I wonder what that thing is. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. When she comes out onto the Quidditch field in the movie, she is a lot more like, it, you can tell even that Maggie Smith is more excited. In yeah. the book, she it truly is like angry. And then it switches so, so quickly. It's almost a nice surprise in the book because you really do think something's bad is going to happen. Oh, yeah. I think that her approach to this is wonderful. It's enforcing, but it shows how McGonagall is a Gryffindor as well. She wants to beat Slytherin. She has this competitive nature behind her, too, and she wants them to do great as well and sees Harry as that resource to help beat them. So Can I say one more thing about the scene that was on the Quidditch pitch. Yeah. Um, I just really like how um, J.K. Rowling has put in these other little characters. Like, you see this part where Pavardi is like, it wasn't his fault. And you see her sticking up for Harry and her and sticking up Pansy, for Neville. And then Pansy... Yeah, and um, then she picks up for Neville, too. She chimes in. And I, I just like the little insert of these characters where we're constantly reminded of who the Gryffindors are, and I just, I really appreciated that. And it avoids giving us this, like, tunnel vision of only Draco and Neville and Harry and Hermione and Ron as right. well. Um, that there are these other side characters who will become more um, integral as we move forward. Um, but also, yeah, I love that McGonagall was like, I'll just break some rules because I want to win at Quidditch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Her approach there is really wonderful in the fact that it's a complete surprise and she doesn't have the kind of like raised eyebrow of excitement that she does in the film, I think is um, is a more fun tactic and, and approach. So later on, Malfoy sees Harry is still there and he's like, what the fuck, you haven't been expelled yet? Which is like, what is Malfoy's obsession with getting Harry expelled? Because literally the very next thing that happens is he's like, I'm going to challenge you to this wizard's duel, which we know later is actually just a trick. He's like obsessed with getting Harry in trouble. He just met this kid too. Like truly, okay, fine, it's Harry Potter. And he didn't want to be friends with Malfoy or whatever because Malfoy was being a douchebag. It's such like an instantaneous in the moment thing. Malfoy being used to probably being the center of attention at home is not liking that a someone else is getting any sort of attention at all and to kind of go back to what I said before he's even relishing when people are getting attention and it's not as great as the attention that he's getting like back to the outpost stuff Mm -hmm. he has this weird obsession where instead of focusing on the things that he's getting and and whatnot he he truly just is a bully i mean that's purely what it is fucking ron just when malfoy's like oh do you even know what a wizard's tool is and and ron's like yeah he does and whatever and he leaves and then harry's like what is it and ron's talking about it and he's just like oh i'm your second he's like what does that mean oh well if you die like it's nothing (laughs) ron just cracks me up i'm like ron you should not talk about death so casually it actually even says i feel like it happens several times a couple episodes we talked about how when Dumbledore does the pre-feast speech and he's talking about the Forbidden Hallway and the Dark Forest and everything, like, there are a lot of opportunities for death here. Even Neville falling off of his broom. Like, these kids are constantly in danger. And this duel is another time for them to bring up peril. I think perhaps Ron might be more conditioned to just bring it up. Even if there were going to be a duel, how do we know that 
Malfoy doesn't already have some tricks up his sleeve. Because I think clearly he does, you know. That's a good point. Like, Ron, we find out in some of these chapters now where they're at school, Ron's pretty dumb. <laughs> and he he oh, says God. and does a lot of weird, really... He's 11. Yes, but I mean, it's it's not even common sense stuff, you know? And maybe that's a big problem here in this school they're, where they're not learning things like common sense or math or basic can you learn ways to sense? communicate and <laughs> I, I think I think there are some things that are a part of early child education that do teach some of those things and like even you know the way to to interact with your peers and whatnot and they don't ever get that unless there was some sort of preschool before this you know maybe it was just muggle preschool or I don't know, maybe there was a wizard preschool as well, but I kind of doubt it based on how some of these characters communicate to one another. Um, so they go to go to this wizard's duel, and Hermione's like, you shouldn't go. She's obsessed with house points. She literally is very obsessed. You mustn't go wandering around the school at night. Think of the, think of the points you'll lose Gryffindor if you're caught. And you're bound to be. I wonder if what she's trying to do here is use that as a tactic to persuade them not to. I would say I don't disagree with that, but I also think she's obsessed with house points. Well, she's he, very he, much established that she wants to be the best at everything. And she even says later on, she's like, you're going to lose all the house points I got from Professor McGonagall for knowing about switching spells. Like, that's very... Here's why I think that it might be a little bit more of her just wanting to follow the rules. Because I think that's what she's motivated by. The boys have already shown that they have a little bit more of a competitive spirit. Yes, Hermione's <laughs> always trying to show off that she knows more than everybody else. But right at this point, she's really by the book. While, yes, she may want to end up on top, right in this moment, she's being more motivated by, by wanting to follow the rules, not necessarily keeping the points, which I think is the way to keep Ron and Harry on the side of the rules and obeying the rules. I actually think it's even more simple than that. I think that she just, this is just how she is. Like, this is what's right. And her, like, her seeming obsession with the house points follows her keeping up with the rules, too. Like, this is just what she knows. She knows that if they do something wrong, this is what will happen. There will be negative consequences. And she says she knows if they do something right, if something is right, then these good things, these health points are theirs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that you're right, but I also think that it's just, it's very simple. This is just how Hermione is. That's what she knows and understands. That's why she says later in the chapter, she's like, getting expelled is worse than death. Because she's not actually thinking about die like the the idea of being killed at school is not there for her but the idea of being kicked out of school is terrifying for her because that would mean that she didn't follow the rules so they go out and they find neville out there because no one walked him back to the common room um let's just leave a child like something that i wrote was because it's they say at one point that neville has been in there like all day in the hospital wing. But then when they find Neville, he's like, oh yeah, they wrapped me up and they said that I would be fine and then like unleashed him. <laughs> and I actually had 
prepared to write down that oh, he has to deal with Skellagro, which is something that we learn about later. I as don't well. think he does. But I it, think... it's not. Yeah. It, it, in fact, because if it were Skellagro, then he would be there all day. But then when we learn that they just kind of like pushed him out of the hospital wing, that's when it's like, oh, so it wasn't as serious as they thought, and they just did exactly what you said. They just, no <laughs> one walked in back. Common room, bye. Like, hey, you've been here for two weeks. You should know how how to get there. Right. When at one point, um, and this is for something that happens later than this in this chapter, but they say how. The one place was miles from their destination or something <laughs> within, the, within the castle. And so Neville is just expected to find his way back. Well, and also, like, I know that, like, Madame Pomfrey literally healed him in seconds, mm-hmm. but he's 11 years old. He fell off a broom. Sure, he's not physically in pain anymore, but he's probably embarrassed. And, like, he gets back to the common room. He doesn't know the password. Like, why are they letting him go back alone when there's no possibility of someone letting him in later? Because clearly it's after curfew. Yeah. If it's not after curfew, there should be people coming going. Coming and going. But he's just hung out there. I wonder if he was... And I'm not trying to stick up for them at all because clearly they should have done this in another way. But I wonder if... He was mended and released prior to curfew, and he just didn't know where to go. And that's why they suddenly just was find embarrassed. him. I mean, that's possible, too. There's, I just feel like he was probably embarrassed. There's a lot of different elements here. Yeah. It's probably a combination of, Poor kid. In, of being humiliated. It's probably just not knowing where to go. It's probably maybe being even shaken up from falling several stories. <laughs> like Right. And then, of course, the Neville part of it that I think is integral to Neville, it's is that, of course, he doesn't know his, the password. The password, so, I know. So um, bad for him. But then, <laughs> of course, Hermione comes out then, too, and, and the fat lady in? isn't there. And I'm like, where the fuck is the fat lady? She, what there's a curfew, and she's like, I ain't got time for this no, shit. No, I, I got, got a booty call. I got a booty call. I, I got, got a booty call with Sir Cadavan, or whatever I, the fuck his name <laughs> is over there. <laughs> she, she's... I know I wrote that down. I put that in my notes. I was like, "Why?" So the fat lady can just leave, and then you can't get into your common room. Like, she's, she's just leave your post. It's fine. Are there rules for these paintings that are I a portal for these children? I don't think. I think the other rooms. I mean, you know, you learn later on in the books, like how to get into Hufflepuffs. It's or the, the kitchen. Oh, the, that's the kitchen. Yeah. So we don't actually know how to get into Hufflepuffs. It's, I don't actually know how they get into Slytherins. I know they go into Slytherins common room in the next book. But in the seventh book, they go and they answer a riddle. Like, there's no painting. They can just leave. You can fucking get into Ravenclaw Tower anytime because you should be able to get into your place at any time. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they make... Well, no. Uh, I was going to say something along the lines of maybe it depends on whatever room because they figure, oh, well, Ravenclaws have a higher percentage of, I don't know, coming back late from the library. Whatever. Right. But when you think of the nature of these four houses, like, of course, the spotlight is more on Slytherin and Gryffindor. So we don't completely know if the Ravenclaws or Hufflepuffs are more rule breakers. My thought says no. But wouldn't you think that a Gryffindor, if they are more likely to be a rule breaker, like the Weasley twins or something like that, they would have like more flexible or severe security to their room? Just like, better security. Yeah. Yes. Like, like, I wonder if that's something that they had thought of is, oh, well, this is the nature of a Gryffindor. So this is 
the type of security to, to get into the room, etc. Also, if she's visiting whoever the fuck, why can't her friend come visit her there? Yeah. She ain't guard, lady, she's not guarding a common room. That lady her doesn't have, like... Her. Bring your friends over. Yeah. Clean that, your picture frame so they can come visit you. Maybe that other painting has, like, a stronger reason for staying where they are. They probably know. have more liquor. I have no idea what that is. That I mean, I imagine frame. Fat Lady has a pretty stocked bar. <laughs> She'd like to share. <laughs> Me too, fat lady. Me too. <laughs> That's what it is. She had a stocked bar, but it empty. It empty. Because she a fat. <laughs> Poor fat lady. Uh, I love the fat lady. She's also played by an amazing actress in the future. But in anyways. the future, always. Now they're all stuck outside of Gryffindor Tower, so now they all have to go to this midnight duel, which well sucks for Harry and Ron. I feel like they really didn't need to. No, but there's no way but Hermione to go that way. Hermione could have very well been like, I'm gonna say stay here with Neville. Fuck you guys. Go and get, but she didn't get in trouble. She secretly wants to know what the fuck they're up to. I mean, which thank God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Glad she was there. They definitely would have gotten in trouble if it weren't for Hermione, I think, yeah. because oh. she's the smart one, obviously. Yes. But I don't know. In a, in another way, I can I could almost see Hermione being like, you know what? No, go on, have fun. I'm gonna sit here with Neville, and we're right. gonna sit here and just have a great time. That's what she should have done, and then the story would have turned into the story of Neville and Hermione. <laughs> uh, well, and then first of all, they would have gotten caught, so they wouldn't have never met Fluffy. Who is the other character that we meet? We don't, of course, know that their name. What it's is the right proton? Proton. For, uh, for, I have no for, idea. <laughs> fluffy. Whatever they. Fluffy. I also wonder if the collective name is Fluffy or if it's like one of them is just FL and the other one is UF and FY. Like, do each, does each name have. Fla. Fl- or is Fluff Fluffy just the name C. of the alpha head? And the other two are like Jennifer and Paul or something Jennifer like that. Jennifer and Paul. <laughs> but they're like... I think that's but a as really a whole, important question. Fluffy, because Fluffy is the dominant head. Anyway. So. I think that's a really important question. I'm not joking. <laughs> we meet Cerberus. Uh, unnamed Cerberus at this point. And that, I think, is really the plot point here that is important to have all of them there. Um, at least the the main three of the trio. In the book, does Hermione use the Alohomora charm? I think she does. Because again, like this is one of the the instances where yeah, she does. Where Ron is kind of literally, like, it happens like identical, um, except for she doesn't have her wand; she takes Harry's. Because <laughs> um, Ron's like, <laughs> this is it; we're them. done for. This is the end. Very dramatically. And Hermione says, oh, move over. She grabbed Harry's wand, tapped the lock, and whispered, Alohomora. Yeah. And then, of course, Ron is surprised. And it's like, Ron, you're the one who was raised in a wizarding family. Why don't you know about this charm that seems fairly simple and basic? But at the same time, Ron, we know, is just, he doesn't think quick. And like you said, he says it very dramatically. I think it's great to have this like moment with Peeves. It's <laughs> like they're all like, "Oh fuck, Peeves is gonna get us in trouble," and then Peeves just like shits all over Filch, and he's like, "Don't mess with me, Peeves." And where did they go? And he's like, "Won't well, yeah. can't not, say nothing." If I shan't say nothing. Please. Yeah. Um, something else I really really enjoyed is when they look in a classroom and Peeves is just writing like filthy words over it. I'm like, I just pictured him writing "fuck" all over <laughs> this thing, and I was like, "Hell yes, Peeves!" This is like the first time I'm I'm on. 
peeve side because I just think it's funny. It's just great. It's a great little humorous addition, and I do love that. Or is he writing wizard swears like from Puppet Pals or something like that? And it's not like it's not like fuck. It's like I don't know what they are. It's oh, been years. It's been years. I feel like one of them is like Hagrid's crumpet or something. Okay. <laughs> That's what he's writing all over the board, just Hagrid's crumping Jesus. all over the place. Ew. And then the next day, Flitwick comes in and he's like, who the fuck wrote this all over the board? <laughs> Flitwick knows. <laughs> Ten points from Hufflepuff. <laughs> Hagrid's crumpet is like the most filthy thing that you can say. It's really funny because I do love the part where Harry's like, he thinks his door is locked. I think we'll be okay. And he's like, get off Neville because Neville's like pulling on it because Neville sees the giant monster dog mm. he's like oh wait okay okay so and then they get back somehow and then that bitch the fat lady's like where have you been whatever where have you where been? have you been bitch <laughs> we needed you like you were over there fucking that painting of what do you want me to play oh, oh my god <laughs> that was terrifying <laughs> no alexa stop <laughs> Alexa! Oh my god. <laughs> Alexa! Stop! <laughs> Fucking eavesdropping bitch. All of that is staying in. <laughs> that was terrifying. That, you know what? That's what they need. It's these fucking unreliable portraits. They need an Amazon Echo by every single common friend. <laughs> oh my god. I... I I don't even know if we said anything that's not up like Alexa. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, and there's our second special guest on this podcast. Yeah. The first one was Bailey the dog. The second one was, I can't say the person's name because yes. then they'll start listening to us again and chiming in. Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> so Anyways. I, okay. Well, we still so anyway, about that <laughs> The chapter ends with them being like, oh, that was a scary dog. And then Hermione's like, oh, by the way, I noticed this trap door. Yeah, <laughs> and then Harry's like obsessed with the mystery of that because he's like, "Oh, I wonder if that's the package that we got from Gringotts," and it's like a fun little like setup to the mystery, mystery. of the, of the book. Yeah, which is super fun. In every chapter now, we are getting a little bit more of the full story of that that mystery tale that they're trying to tell. I have a question. Yes. <laughs> so. Throughout this entire chapter, well, not the entire chapter, at the end of the chapter where they're, like, running through the halls and stuff, they're all wearing their bathrobes? Is that a thing that you, like, do you just you wear your bathrobe to a wizard's duel? Like, while you're hanging out in the common room? Maybe it's a British thing. Maybe, because I'm like, I mean, I would, I guess, wear my bathrobe in my bedroom. But if Harry and Ron are going out to meet Malfoy, like, maybe it's cold? And they're like, oh, these may... Maybe they just didn't want to get back in their robes. Yeah. Just and wear that over their figure, pajamas or if whatever? If we get caught, it's just easier to, like, get back in bed. That's Here's true. If I had, like, a really nice terry cloth robe, I'd wear that motherfucker everywhere. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but, so who knows? Maybe their Hogwarts robes are just really high quality. Right, they're just always... It just it keeps, like, talking about how their robes are falling off their shoulders and stuff. And I'm just like, uh, okay... That is the end of my notes on this chapter. Oh, same here. I think we are ready to go into the movie. New movie music. Probably. (laughs) 
One of the biggest differences in, like, the characters, things like in the book, McGonagall is a lot more soft when she catches um, Harry Ray in the broom, things like that. I also feel like in the movie, we still at this point see Harry being a little bit more observant. He isn't quite reached his, like, smart-ass capacity. I think a lot more of that is passed on to Ron. Mm-hmm. So I think Harry in the movie is a little, still a little bit more a little bit more innocent. He still has those, those um, qualities of, um, of wanting to uphold justice and fairness. Um, but he's, he isn't quite to the level of where we know he can go. Ron is a little bit more of, like, the sassy pants and just... Overall, dumber. Is dumber a word? I feel like if dumber isn't a word, I should be saying calling someone else dumber. Maybe I'm thinking of stupider, which I know is not a word. No, that's not a word. Anyways, but Ron is definitely gives a little bit more of that off. And I think Hermione in the books is a little bit more bratty and a little bit more eye-roll worthy. There are times in the movie where she comes off a little bit sweeter at this point than she does in the, in the book. Like when <laughs> we had said, there's the moment where Harry's like, what if I make a fool of myself? And Hermione comes up and both of us were like, when we first saw her say that, we thought she was like, you will make a fool of yourself. We thought she was just being a little bitch. But she was actually saying... You won't make a fool of yourself. It's in your blood. And it's like, oh, that's very nice, Hermione. We haven't really seen that level mm-hmm. Hermione in the book, in the book yet. So I just wanted to make that quick comment of the slight differences in their characters to perhaps appeal a little bit more to a more mainstream, larger audience. I think more. I think also just you need that because we're getting to the part of the book where things are cut out of the movie because we have to tell the story. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> This chapter, it starts off basically with like the owl post and Neville getting the remember all, which is interesting because in the movie, in that same scene is also when Harry reads the newspaper that Gringotts has broken into. Yeah. And that actually happened in a previous chapter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. But also it just made sense to put those things together. Yeah. I am here for it. I would like to make a comment. Dean Thomas is muggle-born. Later on, you find out that Dean Thomas was raised muggle as well. And one of his parents is magical, but he didn't know that parent. Why does he know what a remember all is? He was like, oh, look, Neville's got a remember all. And then Hermione is like, that's what this is. So I was like, maybe he likes books too. You know, I don't know, right? Also, yeah. you know, you gotta give him something to say. I love Dean Thomas. He is he is my favorite non like main Gryffindor. I, just, <laughs> I love Dean Thomas. I also just love the boy who plays him in the movies. Through all of the movies, he's delightful. I think I would have to agree when I think of all of the really? others. Really? Like, at least in this year. In yeah. This class. Yeah. But, yeah, just, that, that's really, an interesting but, uh, observation. <laughs> I don't know. I just really like him. But um, I, would, I was just like, wait, he shouldn't know what that is. But I think that they do a good job of completing that portion of it. And then, like, the flying lessons. I really think the flying lesson starts off really strong. I will say that Neville's broom ride is much more dramatic in the movie. Yeah. But Harry's catch of the remember-all is much less dramatic in the movie. Yeah. Like, Harry does a dive and, like, catches it a foot from the ground, and that's insane. And then the movie, he just, like, flies yeah. and catches it. And... For all three of these differences of, first, the 
the newspaper about mm-hmm. uh, the newspaper reading. I think that's so smart. It's smart because in the book, it really is a lot more like, okay, end of chapter, done. Like, a couple days later. Whereas there, it's just a lot more fluid. Right. As for the catch of the Remembrall, it's true that it's not quite as dramatic, but it more easily sets up what's about to happen in the next you, Because scene. you see Professor McGonagall see it. And I do kind of like that, that cool like camera trick of like... Oh, because she's right awesome. There. Yes. Also, like her facial expressions yeah. are beautiful. And I do sort of like the more dramatic... I don't dislike it. I just yeah. It's such a difference. Um, I don't know if there's one that I necessarily prefer over the other. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the book, he just falls. He doesn't, like, get caught. It, yeah, it just says that he rises, like, 10, 20 feet, and then he falls. Yeah. You know? But I, I think it's it's probably a really fun thing, because it's the only time you're ever going to see Neville fly on a broomstick ever. <laughs> so there's that. The other big change for me... There's some dialogue in the movie that's right out of the book, which is really yeah. cool. You know, um, Hermione actually, being like, what an idiot. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's cute. But I wrote remarkably close to the film. And then I went back and wrote like dot, 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 oh, and then it goes like completely off the rails. <laughs> like the, right. the name of this chapter is The Midnight Duel. And there is no Midnight Duel in the film. And there's no Midnight Duel. Um, okay, I think he's great. The guy who plays Oliver Wood, he is nothing like the description. No! I'm like, he is the, way too pretty. In the book, it says Burly. I was like, bitch. Hey, please. Burly. I mean, he's he's great. Um, I love his little accent. He's very adorable. He's yep. a good actor. Like, and it, it he's still a cute gentleman. I, but you know what? But it's still, he's not Burly. Right. I mean, and that's I don't really care, but um, I'm always like... Oh. I mean, I care, but... <laughs> but you get to look at him, and he's quite adorable. Worst things could have happened. <laughs> they could have fucked up worse. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that too. So yeah, that's really like the end of how this chapter is portrayed in the movie. So the huge change is like Hermione just kind of like follows Harry and Ron and is like, look, Harry, your dad was a seeker, which is wrong. Harry's dad was a chaser. Um, and also <laughs> there's a little thing that says McGonagall on, on the, in the movie. You oh, there the is? Thing. Yeah, where you see James Potter's um, little plaque little, thing. Like, yeah, yeah they're, one of the smaller ones is from McGonagall, which I'm like, this is great, but also James Potter was not a seeker, so that's annoying. But <laughs> after that is when they, you know, are just like walking back to the... And like, they're just... They're, Hermione is still there because suddenly we're okay with her kind of being around, even though... She's clearly just following them. And suddenly the staircase changes. And suddenly they're on the other part of the school. Okay. What the fuck? Now this is less forgivable. I mean, it's still fine. But it's less forgivable than the whole, like, Oliver is in the next book. It is it is less forgivable. When I was reading this... It just happened so quickly. I was like, wait, wait, what? Well, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, how do they skip the duel? Like, I was trying to remember what happens. And then when we were watching it, I was like, really? The stairs, the stairs was the the remember? and cut like, all of that out. And it's like, sure, it would have been the same because they didn't have peeves, which, okay, right, no to peeves. be fair, that is an improvement. Um, but you don't have Neville with you, which yeah. is not the end of the world, but we love Neville. He's so cute. Well, until your point earlier where we already start to see like the similarities of Harry and Neville, having him a little bit more in here would be beneficial. Right. And we mentioned in, I think, um, the last episode how 
quickly, <laughs> Neville's story is forgotten, and it isn't even brought up in the movie. Well, I think that had, like, the fifth book been written before the first That's movie exactly went out. exactly what I was going to say. I think that they would have connected him more, because you hear of Neville, you learn Neville's backstory more in the fourth book, but you don't know. You don't pay attention to it You as much don't know what it is. And then the fifth book happens, you're like, oh, fuck, they yeah. could put that in the movie, in the first movie. I was thinking the exact same thing. They, if, if the series was completely done, I'm sure the first few movies would be a lot Would be a lot different. different. Yeah. So, so yes. This, st- this is the first time where there's a lot more to talk about in these I still think changes. that Fluffy is just very cute. <laughs> I mean, Fluffy is giant and a little, a little scary, but, but cute. I. But if I don't you know. were there, you would be scarier. <laughs> Probably. I mean, what would you rather have? Three-headed, I don't know, parakeet. No, I just, I don't know. I think a three-headed I don't, snake. I just don't find dogs scary. Oh no, the the snake in the, the castle happens next. Month, no right fucking there. snakes. I just, I just, I don't find dogs scary. But obviously, if I were an eleven-year-old in that situation, I would feel differently. I think I would, I would love it like. Heaven. Also, this one is like way larger than you. It has three heads. <laughs> You're like, oh, if I were an eleven-year-old, you know it would be the, different. The, but the German Shepherd that I watch has a bigger head than me. And does he have only one of them? <laughs> does have only one of them. <laughs> well, I rest my case. <laughs> Harmless. He's a sweet boy. I mean, I, I think it's clear that Fluffy and Jennifer and Paul, or whatever their names were, <laughs> are puppies. <laughs> that's a puppy Cerberus, but, I, th- I think. That's, that's also, that's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, if it were a full-grown thing, it might not even fit in that room. So. Well, it even says, like, you know, it takes up the whole space. And then, of course, they come back and they're like, oh, that's a trap door. And then, perf, right out of the fucking book, I'm going to bed before <laughs> um, they said he comes up with another plan to get us killed or worse, expelled. <laughs> she needs to sort out her priorities. Well, she actually, you know, she says it differently in the book, but I liked it in the movie. I just love how um, sassy it was, but it's very similar. In an interview, Rupert and Emma said that those were their favorite lines. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I went to say earlier, when we were talking about Dean, we were talking about Fluffy, actually. I went to the History of Magic exhibit at the New York Historical Society uh, back in January or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, there were these original drawings uh, by JK. And initially, Dean was there. And that's all I remember from the picture. It was like a drawing and like wow, Dean was there. Wow, that's really interesting. And I don't, I don't know why, like, cause you know, you're trying to, there's, there's more information and like, there's actually, I want to buy the History of Magic book because I think that, that it's all the stuff that's there. It's just in photograph form. Oh my God, you can yeah, like, love to see it. I feel like. It was one of the coolest things ever, but I remember the drawing of Fluffy and, and the kids all like clumped together and Dean was there. And a character named hmm. Gary, or he was originally called Gary, Gary, or something. I don't, I don't know. I need, I need that book. I'm, I'm still giving the movie a good score on, on covering the chapters. I think it, it's, it still gets a good it score. Gets, it gets kind of a, a negative feeling for the, let's just have the staircases move. Yeah. But they have to, they really have to move it along. Yeah. So. This is the first time where, like, a chapter name doesn't really match for, for the movie. But, uh, yeah, I think I agree. All right. Who wins and loses? Well, uh, Draco loses this chapter. <laughs> no uh, that's shit. an easy call. Yeah. And I'm giving Harry the win, not because it's his book series, but I, I really love how he just jumps in there for an Ethel. Yeah. I think that that's 
absolutely worthy of a win, and I think it's really great how yeah. he does that. Cool. Mine are somewhat similar. I have to preface this by saying I was very close to getting Peeves actual points for writing fuck, or Hagrid's crumpet, all over the, uh, the blackboard. I really enjoyed that, but then later <laughs> he completely turned back into a douche. So, no points taken or given to Peeves. I gave 25 points to McGonagall because we start to see a change in her, and I like the approach that she takes when she sees Harry. And then, of course, I gave 20 to Harry, too. Not only because he has this urge to do what is right and and rectify what Draco does, but also because he gets to fly for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that is such a huge thing for him. Super happy for him. I gave five points to Zoe Wanamaker, not Madam Hooch, (laughs) (laughs) because I love her, and she is technically a shepherd. And then I took 25 away from Malfoy because he's a prick. Mm-hmm. I took 20 away from Pansy because who asked you? Because who asked you, bitch? And I took five away from for Hermione because I think in this chapter we see a little bit more of that brattiness and she could have made some different choices. She, I think in this these cases, the Gryffindor got her in trouble more. Not actually in trouble because they don't get in trouble but i feel like there are things she could have done differently mm-hmm. and so i just take five away from hermione she's gonna win those back a lot in the future <laughs> so she's just gonna win all the books so it's yes. fine so next time we will be reading chapter 10 halloween halloween and then after that we have only seven more chapters until we're done with this book hooray which is insane i don't know if it's hooray or not it's like whoa this is going sure really it's hooray because we feel like we did something we committed to something we did a thing we did a thing also i mean this is one of my favorite books because of the introduction and everything but we have so much more to learn so many more things that we've already spoiled and mentioned in these episodes that will actually gonna be able to talk about for real when they're happening in the next six books. So Yeah, we still have six books. Yeah, so this is just the start, even though the first part is over in seven chapters after next chapter. So eight chapters. That was un- not very graceful, but... That's because we don't learn math what do you at expect? Hogwarts. <laughs> we don't learn math at Hogwarts. We don't learn, we don't learn a lot of things at Hogwarts that like these kids sense. could be benefiting from. So we'll see you next time for chapter 10. Halloween. Yes. Bye. Bye. Enjoy the outro and the same music this time. Basic Snitches produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery and edited by Adam Bowers. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed us. In the future, we hope to have more ways for our listening audience to connect with us and perhaps inspire other segments or elements of the show. We're very new to this, and we appreciate your support and input. If you would like to get in contact with us, for now, please follow us on Instagram at basicsnitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll catch you soon! Get it? Catch you? Like catching a snitch? <laughs>